you're with us, feel free to be seated. We are going to continue our sermon series through the Apostles' Creed today, and today we're talking through the lines, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So we get to talk about Jesus today. Um, and as we continue through this sermon series, we have three things that we want to remember about the Apostles' Creed. First is that it's a summary of the Christian faith that depicts the full story of Scripture. So basically all of Scripture is summarized in the, of the Apostles' Creed. Second, the Apostles' Creed reminds us that our story and the story of the church are rooted in an ancient faith. Lastly, the Apostles' Creed is not simply a routine repetition of doctrine, but rather our pledge of allegiance to one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many of you guys out there have seen the new Thor? God of, what is it, Love and Thunder, is that it? Okay, well, if you haven't, a little bit of a spoiler alert, just warning you, okay? So if you need to plug your ears for a couple seconds, I am going to talk a little bit through the beginning plot line, okay? Um, in this new movie, the movie opens up with this scene of a father and a daughter dying in the desert. I know it's really uplifting. Um, but you see them out in the desert. There's no food. There's no water. They're crying out to their God for salvation. Save us. Bring us food. And especially the father is crying out that the God would save his daughter. She's a young girl. And when the father finally gets to meet the God, he asks again, hey, can you revive my daughter? He said, I sacrificed my whole life. I did everything I was supposed to do to reach this eternal reward that you promised. Will you revive my daughter? And instead of granting him his request, the God looks at him and laughs. And he says that there was never an eternal reward. In fact, there was just emptiness after life. And so all of the father's sacrifices were for nothing. His life was for nothing, and it was nothing but pain and emptiness that awaited him. And oftentimes, humanity, we tend to view God as this grand divinity up in the sky, distant, requiring sacrifice and loyalty, or else we're met with damnation for eternity. So we spend a lifetime trying to sacrifice, trying to step in line, trying to do everything we can to ensure that we have an eternity with a glorious reward. But when we die, we're met with a God who's indifferent, feasting and unwilling to pause and look at our pain or intervene and help us. And I think oftentimes that's how we view God and religion and faith. And it's easy to look at the brokenness of the world and to see God in this way as some tyrant in the sky. But I'm here to tell you that God is not a tyrant. He's not indifferent. He is not a God of broken promises. Unlike the God of Thor, we will not be mocked when we come before God with our knees. We will not find a distant God, but instead we will find a close, personal, and faithful God. A God who from the beginning has intervened in this world time and time again, even to the point of sending his son into the world to save us and show that he is faithful and will keep his promises. The fragile, messy, human life of Jesus shows us that God is personal. He cares about the most mundane things in our life, as well as our biggest moments. 
A few weeks ago, Cassie compared God to a parent, and this week we're going to flip the script and talk about God as a baby. We're going to talk about Jesus. And comprehending Jesus as fully human, but also fully divine, is a difficult thing. That's not really something we can grasp with our brains all the time. Um, something that I've spent many nights wrestling, I don't get the concept all the time. But I think sometimes it's easier for us to address the divinity of Jesus. We get the virgin birth. Like, okay, I mean, it's kind of mystical, but I get the concepts there, right? Virgin birth, he did a lot of miracles, I get that. Okay, he died and was resurrected. I get all of that. Those things all describe Jesus' divinity, his supernatural godness. And at the same time, it's easier to understand those things and embrace them than it is his humanity. It's a little bit harder to imagine Jesus as a baby, passing Jesus around just like we do baby Nora on a Sunday, just pass her down. Can't imagine doing that with Jesus. I can't imagine necessarily sitting at dinner at a table with Jesus like we do our microchurches and with our friends. It's a little harder to grasp. Can you imagine being Jesus' disciple and just sitting around waiting for these like, wonderful, wise moments, and Jesus says, pick up your net and follow me. Cool, that doesn't seem so profound, but okay, I guess we can do that. Or sitting around and waiting for this miraculous king, and then you're met with a man on a donkey. Seems a little less glorious. It's hard to envision the everyday human moments with Jesus. And oftentimes when we do, we think of them as insignificant. We like to think of Jesus in the big, powerful moments. And today we're going to take a deeper look at the significance of Jesus' humanity and his divinity and what that has on our life through the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 1, verses 1 through 18, but before I get into today's passage too much, I think it's important we have a little bit of context. So first of all, the Gospel of John is written by John, the disciple of Jesus. Jesus calls him his dearly beloved. So they have a very kindred friendship, all right? And John is a special author. He's not like the rest of the gospel authors. He is special because his gospel has this sense of reflection to it. He tells the story of Jesus with such an awe of who Jesus is. Versus the synoptics, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew takes us to the synagogue, learning what it's like to see Jesus as king. Mark gives us a handbook on discipleship, and Luke presents Jesus to the Greek world. These are all very important things, but John, John's my man, John encourages us to be still and know, to see Jesus until we are overcome with his glory. And if I had to choose a favorite, I would choose John. He's also probably one of my favorite authors in all of scripture. In college, I went to school for theology, for those of you who don't know, uh, but I became enamored with John, and I really loved looking at the literary styles of all of the authors in scripture. I loved looking at a passage and trying to determine, is this a poem? Is this a story? Is this a letter? Because it's so important to know that. And John easily became my favorite because of his extreme intentionality with how he wrote, the style in which he wrote, the literary devices, 
that he used just conveys such passion. His heart and his vision of who Jesus was just comes across so clearly in the way that he writes. So this brings me to my second important note before we read the passage here, and a note for your personal Bible study. Pay attention to the literary styles, all right? When something seems repetitive, or if it seems like over our heads, what are they, what are they talking about? There's probably a literary device or a literary style being written that doesn't translate well to English. So it helps to identify, is this a poem? Is this a letter? And it helps us understand more clearly what the author is really trying to communicate. And here, John is so in love with Jesus and so saturated with scriptures that he creates a beautiful poem to open up his gospel. And as we learned from the song series that we did this summer, poems invite us into the wonder of a thing. Beyond the obvious things, we get to sit and have awe and wonder. If you guys ever had that encounter with God, whether at a camp or a church service, maybe during a, just a moment of prayer where you just really felt God near. You felt like you could see him. You felt known. You felt his presence so tangibly, and you just felt that love and that joy. Well, that's John here, but like times a hundred, because he was literally just with Jesus, walking around with him, watching him do his miracles. He watched the death and then the resurrection. He had the whiplash from all of that. And he's sitting here in awe and joy, overcome with God's presence, writing this scripture. So as I read these 18 verses, bear with me. But as I read them, remember that it's a poem and remember John's love and adoration for Jesus. And try to remember that as I read this. So today's passage, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he was, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. John is emphasizing from the very beginning of this passage that Jesus is in fact God, and he was with him in the very beginning. 
as the Word who became flesh changes God's relationship to humanity forever. The Incarnation makes it possible for us to know God in a way that was never possible before Jesus. Jesus as the Word can be a complex thing to think about. Another analogy for Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus was the Word? It's easier to think about it this way. Think of the fact that your words are distinct from you, but they are also an embodiment of your thought and your mind. So Jesus is distinct, he is with God, but he is also divine and is God. He's a divine word that became human. Another way to think of Jesus as fully human, fully divine, is to think of him as nothing but fire and nothing but iron. When iron is put into fire, the fire saturates the iron. It doesn't change the substance. Iron is still iron, but it is saturated by the fire. And similarly, Jesus is so permeated by his divinity and the divine presence that every part of his humanity is also full of divinity. He was born of a woman, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is human. He is divine. He is iron. He is fire. I love the way author Dale Bruner sums up the Incarnation. He says, in God's Incarnation, in the human of Jesus of Nazareth, the Absolute becomes relative. The Almighty becomes a baby. The Ancient of Days becomes nowadays. The Divine becomes human. The Eternal becomes temporal. The Immortal becomes mortal. And the Infinite becomes finite. Not only is John making the point from the beginning that Jesus is God, but he is also drawing on parallels from the creation story in Genesis to really drive the message home to his audience. He begins the poem here saying, in the beginning. Remind you of anything? Genesis 1, anybody? And this is to say that in order to understand the incarnation of Christ and the virgin birth, we have to first understand the beginning of creation and Israel's history as told in the Holy Scriptures. And as we look at the history of Israel in the scriptures, we see, we see a story arc of scripture that is full of miraculous births. Jesus is not the one-off or the exception. He is one of many, actually. We start back in Genesis. We see Abraham and Sarah. They were unable to conceive, but at the miraculous age of 90, Sarah becomes pregnant. I would not want that, but more power to her. But in this miraculous pregnancy, it's actually an answer to the promise that God made to Abraham that he would be the father of many generations. And then we see Moses, his conception wasn't miraculous, but his rescue was miraculous. And we see that that, his resurrection, his rescue, not his resurrection, his rescue is an anticipation of God freeing the Israelites from slavery. And before Israel even had a monarchy, they had established judges. And one of those judges, Samson, was born miraculously, and he was even visited by an angel. And under Samson's leadership, Israel triumphed over the Philistines. And lastly, after the judges, comes the prophets. Anybody singing the Bible song in their head? Um, once we get to the prophets here, Hannah is barren, and she miraculously becomes pregnant with Samuel who is the prophet that is anointed the first ever king of Israel. The monarchy starts with him. 
In some and all of the pivotal moments in Israel's history, there's a woman miraculously pregnant as an answer to a promise from God. Israel's story is a story of miraculous births. And with this in mind, it's no surprise that Jesus came by a miraculous birth. Israel's joy is found in the miraculous birth of a child. It's not random or eccentric as we may want to think of it, but it's deeply rooted in the history and story of Israel. And in the same way that the Spirit of God breathed the universe into creation, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Where humanity went wrong in Genesis, Jesus corrects it. Jesus is the image of God and the new Adam. Adam and Eve decided that instead of being a conduit of God and cultivating his creation, they wanted to define power on their own. They wanted to pursue their own idea of power. So God says, all right, let me enter into the world and show you and be the example of what I created humanity to be. Jesus is the new Adam. Adam in Genesis led humanity astray, but Jesus begins a new life for humanity. He shows us a new way to be human. Jesus restores humanity as the good creation God intended it to be. And I love how Augustine puts it. He says, God became human so that humans could become, become again in reality human. He came so we could become human again. And the incarnation of God, that is Jesus Christ, is the fullness of the gospel. Without it, the gospel is incomplete. We spend so much time talking about sin in the world and the destruction of the world and our brokenness. And so naturally, we want God to be this superhero that rides in to fix it all. And he is that. But we are like the Israelites and we expect this superhero, but God's already come as a baby in the manger. He's already done it but not how we expect him. He came as a man who was loving and kind and not afraid to flip some tables on injustice. Our focus on this world being so broken has made us forget that Jesus redeemed this world in us through his humanity. And through his death and his resurrection, this physical world that God first looked at and said, this is good and humanity that he deemed very good. They've all been redeemed by Jesus, and we are back to that state of goodness because of him. God delights in our humanity. Whether you feel it or not, he does delight in humans, and he delights in our joy, who wants to see us full of joy. We were created to share and cultivate creation to help things grow, to give glory back to God in all we do. We were created in God's image and in his likeness to share the diverse love and joy that God has. We were created with unique attributes. Each of us have unique attributes that just scream the character of God. 
And it's because of Jesus' incarnation that we can share in God's delight in humanity. And because we see Jesus, we see the joy of being human. All things are redeemed, and they're covered in grace and truth. Worship to the second heaven. Jesus is nothing but deep grace and deep truth. In fact, we'll never exhaust Jesus' grace and love. The life of Jesus is our roadmap, not just on rules to follow and how to act, but he is our roadmap on how to live our life to the fullest extent that God intended. And when we follow the way of Jesus, we're keeping our life pointed at true north. We're pointing ourselves, bringing ourselves back to life through Jesus' sacrifice, consumed by his light. And when we follow the way of Jesus, everything changes. And the invitation that he gives us is to welcome him into our lives, to place trust in Jesus, to give ourselves to the person of Jesus, the divine and human word of God. Brenner sums up these last verses of John saying, just welcome him. He'll work the believing into you and he'll work everything else in you the rest of your life as well when you make a simple decision to believe in him and to live with him believing the rest of your life. We're invited to just welcome him. The incarnation invites us to simply believe not just in the miraculous, but in the joy of life's mundane moments. The incarnation reminds us that we are neither greater nor smaller than the objects of our desire. We say it all the time here, but we are what we love. And if we choose to love Jesus, our hearts will be so deeply changed that we begin to see things differently. We begin to see the wonder in Jesus as fully man, fully God. It's not a question of seeing God, but of seeing with God. It's not always a question of physical, tangible sight all the time. If it were, then the people who were with Jesus wouldn't have condemned him. They had the tangible Jesus in front of them and still chose to kill him. But it's a question of seeing the mystery and through that mystery of the incarnation, the world becomes clear. Jesus gives us new eyes. He shows us a new way to be human. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, first, I believe it means that we have to acknowledge that to be human, we have to be connected with reality. We cannot live up here all the time. Okay? We have to come down. We have to see what is in front of us. And secondly, we have to appreciate it. Jesus' humanity means that there are millions of little stories about Jesus that did not make it into Scripture. The mundane moments of his life did not get highlighted in Scripture. But that doesn't mean they weren't as full of life and meaning as any of the rest. 
the darkest moments of Jesus' human life happened so that every moment of our human life has purpose and meaning and fullness. Moments like a late night game, game night with friends. When it's past your bedtime, you've had a little too much caffeine, starting to mix up your words, you're losing your filter, and you're losing your game pretty bad, but you're still laughing your head off. Those moments are full and they're full of purpose. Moments like a morning cup of coffee. The house is quiet, you're in your PJs, the newness of the day sets in, and it's just nothing but peace that's so loud it's deafening. It's moments like a Marco Polo or FaceTime with friends, listening to the big and the little moments of their lives, wishing you could be there to witness it physically. But you're overjoyed that you get to at least talk to them and you get to have a front row seat even if it's from afar. You're smiling through the Wi-Fi glitches because even if their face is frozen, you still get to see their face. All of these mundane little moments or what it means to be human, what it means to be connected to reality. Each and every mundane and grand moment matter. And we have to appreciate it. We get to appreciate it because it's been redeemed by Jesus. And because of him, we have a new way of being. It's full of joy and it's full of light. And some of you in here might be saying you have no idea how dark you have no idea how bad my bad days are. And then I would say I might not know. I probably don't. And there's so much room at the feet of Jesus for our pain. He meets us. He's shared in our suffering. We get to bring that to him. But what I would also say is that I do know how bright the light of Jesus is. It's so bright that John says that the darkness does not overcome it. So even in our darkest hour, our worst days, Jesus is brighter. And so my challenge to you all this week is that you would find three thankfuls a day. It sounds simple, but it can be real challenging, especially on a bad day. This is really well done if you have community friends that you can talk to about this. I, in the middle of the pandemic, life was getting to all of us, I'm sure, and I had a group of friends, and every day we would just send each other three things, big or small, that came up, and we were like, I'm so thankful for this. And some days, I could only be thankful for a roof over my head, food to eat, and thank God I had a job. Those, at the moment, sound so trivial, but they're so big. Even the moments where I was like, man, my cat's really annoying me. But man, I'm thankful I have that thing. Keeps me company. Find three things, big or small, every day. Write them down, text them to a friend, do what you have to, to put the little mundane moments in front of you. Slow down. Look around you. See the beauty of the mundane connect to reality and appreciate it. Because when we do that, we embrace the fullness of human life that was exemplified through Jesus. Let's pray. 
so thankful for the life of Jesus. We're thankful that in his suffering, we are known. God, we're thankful for the everyday little moments that you are so present in. God, I pray as we go through this week that you would just be so present, that you would help us to see with new eyes, that we would see the hard days become lighter because you are with us. I pray, Lord, that you would just remind us of your goodness, remind us of who we were created to be and why you deemed us very good. listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.